you ready to free the body and free the soul? Join Dr. David, the cutting-edge doc, as he guides us on today's journey. Here's Dr. David. Hi, friends. This is Dr. David, the cutting-edge doc, and welcome to Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul, where we do in-depth interviews with individuals that are doing cutting-edge work in the areas of healing, spirituality, and social transformation. I'm very excited about today's show. It's going to be a little bit different in the sense that uh, the camera is going to be turned back toward me. And I invited my friend Pete Sapper to be with us today, and he's going to interview me so that you can get a better sense of what I'm all about, what makes me tick, what motivated me to create Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul, and what I want to accomplish in terms of impact with freeing the body, freeing the soul. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us today on this episode of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. My name is Pete Sapper, and with me today, I have Dr. David Kamnitzer. And uh, just a little quick bio information, uh, Dr. David Kamnitzer, better known as Dr. David or the Cutting Edge Doc, is a healer, spiritual guide, an ontological coach, and a holistic doctor. His passion is to, yes, you guessed it, assist others in freeing the body and freeing the soul. Dr. David's been in the healing arts for almost 40 years. He's been a doctor for the past 27. He's got a private practice in San Jose, California, and consults with people all over the world via both Skype and telephone. You can reach Dr. David at drdavid at cuttingedgedoc.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn as well. Uh, welcome to this, uh, this edition of the show, Dr. David. I'm so excited to get started with this uh, and, and see what you have for us today. Thanks for having me, Pete. It's great to be here. And I just want to let the listeners know that that email address for Dr. David at cuttingedgedoc is D-R-D-A-V-I-D, D-R-D-A-V-I-D at CuttingEdgeDoc.com. Thank you for that clarification. Um, when we get started here, I really want to kind of get a feel of what's going on here. I've got this you know, feeling of excitement that this is a completely new territory for a lot of people, myself included. So I um, wanted to ask, you know, what, what is it, first of all, that moved you to launch a new, this new podcast series? Well, there's so many strands of my intentions and my passions and my gifts and my talents and my strengths that are kind of woven together, that's kind of come together in this project of this podcast, Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. And for many, many years, I've had a strong desire to create some kind of a space where very high quality in-depth conversations could take place on a regular basis that people all over the world could access for free as long as they had an internet connection that would that would communicate cutting edge information cutting edge ideas, practices, people, connections, places 
that are especially in the areas of my expertise is in my passion, which is healing and spirituality and social transformation. And for many, many years, I didn't quite know how to do it. Like I either the technology didn't exist or I didn't know about the technology or I didn't have the assistance that I needed to have it all come together. And finally, it seems like an idea whose time has come. So I'm really excited about it. And the way that it's structured is each interview is going to be about an hour and a quarter. So they're going to be in-depth interviews. So the listener can really find out about the person and really dive deep into the subject matter, which uh, is pretty rare these days to have a context where, where that can happen consistently. And some of the episodes are going to be like this one, where you're interviewing me on uh, a topic or a set of topics that uh, is important to me to express, and, and you're going to be kind of drawing me out and uh, kind of putting yourself in the listening of the listener and drawing me out so that I can be a maximum benefit. And then a lot of the other shows are going to be me in the role that you're in today, Pete, where I'm the interviewer and I'm doing in-depth interviews with people that I have tremendous admiration and respect for that are doing cutting edge work in these same areas. And all of these podcasts, all of these audios will not only be accessible on iTunes and Stitcher, but they'll also be accessible on the new website that I created to go along with this podcast, which is Cutting Edge Doc, that's D-O-C, CuttingEdgeDoc.com. And there will be show notes that will go along with each episode so that... Uh, the listener doesn't have to write down, for example, websites or names of books or people or email addresses that are mentioned during the show. So that that's a very, very, very broad overview answer to your question, Pete. Thank you, Dr. David. It gives us some idea of where it is we're going. And it's very, very exciting because, you know, look, ontological study is like it's cutting edge stuff. I mean, uh, you know, this is the kind of stuff that you see in Harvard and, and uh, in, in, in top line business schools, the elite of the elite. And it's so exciting, such an exciting, like you said, cutting edge discipline that we get to explore and, and have, you know, insight and expertise on. Now, what is it that makes it diff different and unique? I wanted to I wanted to. Uh, you know, everybody and their mother's got a podcast now. So what is it that's really going to be the flavor of this this type of uh, this podcast? And what can we really look forward to as far as it being different than anything we've seen before? Well, let me get into that. And at the same time, I want to take a step back because you mentioned a word that probably most people don't know what it means. You mentioned the word ontology, and I'll weave that into my answer to your question about what makes freeing the body, freeing the soul, unique, and in terms of what I'm all about. So ontology is the study of being. And that's distinct, say, from philosophy, which would be the study of ideas, or psychology, which would be the study of the mind of, the, of a person who has a separate sense of self. Um, ontology 
addresses questions like, what is being? What is being for human beings? What makes the being of a human being different than the being of a dog or a plant or a rock or an angel? It addresses questions like, what have we been being? What are we being? What could we be being? And it turns out that these questions are not just interesting intellectual exercises. It turns out that what we're being actually is shaping and constraining everything in our lives. What we can think, what we can feel, what we can do, what we can say, even what we can perceive, and even the future that we're living into, even the past that we seem to carry around. All of this is shaped and constrained by what we're being. And what's so interesting about being is that we can be being something without consciously knowing that that's what we're being. But the fact that we're being that still shapes and constrains everything. So for example, for example, most human beings in Western civilization are being that they are separate. They don't necessarily even think that they're separate. But everything that they think and feel and say and do is correlated with the fact that they're being that they're separate. And not all human beings are being that they're separate. There are other cultures where simply in the course of, of existing in that culture, they're being that that there is only unity and different facets of that unity. And it's not that we're interested so much in what is right and what is wrong in ontology, but we're interested in looking at when we're being in a certain way, what can show up in terms of the quality of that person's life, and in the quality of their relationships, and in the results they can produce? And how do we get some access to, and eventually some mastery in relation to what we're being so that the way we're being works for us, works for us both in terms of the quality of our life and also in terms of our effectiveness in life. And this is a very interesting field because most of us have absolutely no training in this area, even no training in even becoming aware of what we're being, let alone um, how to shift that and how to master that. And so one of the things that makes this podcast or this project unique is that probably a third to half the shows are going to be where I'm being interviewed and I'm going to be talking about things that I have an expertise in and an interest in. And this is one area that I have an area 
of expertise in which very few people do. And I would say another thing that makes it unique is that another area of expertise for me is in the area of natural healing. And as far as I know, I'm the only person that, I mean, there may be other people, but as far as I know, I'm the only other person that, I'm the only person I know that's committed to um, bringing forth a synthesis of the best in natural healing with the best in what ontology has to offer. And so in, if we take it back to the title of the of the podcast series, Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul, you could say that ontology is a, is a, is a study and a method of inquiry that allows us to free the soul. And you could say that natural healing is a combination of methods that allow us to free the body. And what I've found in private practice for many, many years is that when you combine and integrate empowering people in both of those areas at the same time, there's an incredible synergy that takes place and um, results can be produced that I haven't seen in any other way. And another way that this impacts freeing the body, freeing the soul, is that for about a half or two-thirds of the show, I'm going to be the interviewer. And because of my background in ontology, I'm able to listen and speak in a way that I think will allow these interviews to go much deeper than most interviews go. And I think will be enlightening not only to the listener, but also I'm expecting a lot of kind of breaking opens and insights for the people that are being interviewed, as well as myself. So I think those are some of the things that make this show unique and also the quality of the guests. Uh, there will never be filler shows on freeing the body, freeing the soul. There will only be shows when I'm 100% convinced that the quality of the people you're going to be listening to are A++ people. So I think those are some ways in which, for me, freeing the body, freeing the soul seems like it's going to be quite unique. And uh, Pete, if you have anything to add based on any thoughts that got triggered, <clears throat> excuse me, while I was speaking or your sense of it, uh, feel free to, to chime in. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, I will echo my original sentiments that this is such an exciting um, opportunity, such an exciting field of study, because who actually stops and thinks? I mean, where do you hear this anywhere else? Stop and think, what are you being? You know, uh, what are you being in a relationship that love is? You know, does anybody stop and think of that? You know, we, we never think about our this being in the world. That, that That's what makes ontology so incredibly exciting. It's just like this cutting edge uh, uh, idea that gives us access to something that we were completely asleep to before. And with, with that, um, you know, with who, who are you intending to reach with this new uh, this kind of cutting edge thinking? Who, who is it that you're, you're reaching out to? Who is this, who is this podcast going to be for in other words? Well, one answer is that, it's for any person that has a sincere desire to know truth, to uplift, to make a difference. Uh, that being said, I'm particularly interested in connecting with leaders that have large spheres of influence. I'm also particularly interested in influencing mothers. 
And the reason I'm interested in influencing mothers is that it's my experience from having thousands of patients and just being alive for almost 59 years in this life that when the mother is in good shape, when the mother is empowered, there's a much higher probability that the children and the marriage and the family will all be in much, much better shape. And so those are two areas of people that I'm very interested in connecting with, leaders who have large series of influence and mothers. Fantastic. I mean, that's, I completely agree with that sentiment. Um, you know, I've got a background in uh, behavioral science, specifically uh, developmental psychology. And my God, what you just said hit, hit it really. I mean, and that's another thing we don't ever think about. We talk about bad kids or disruptive kids or kids with ADHD. We never really look at and examine the environment and really what's the condition of the mother in that situation, how profoundly it affects that. So I really appreciate the clarification on that. That sounds like a another very, very exciting thing to, to be able to provide, to contribute um, to mothers and, and how that you know has a big trickle down effect. So thank you for clarifying that. So outside of reaching mothers, empowering mothers, um, uh, being able to assist people to free the soul, um, uh, free the body, uh, what is it that we want to accomplish? If we're looking at an overall scheme, what is the big contribution that this podcast is going to make? Well, let me also add there that in addition to the mothers, also the importance of of connecting with and empowering leaders in general, a people who have a tribe, people who have a sphere of influence, people that have other people that are willing to be guided by them. That's one of the big things I want to have happen out of this project is to catalyze a ripple effect that goes on and on and becomes really viral, but at the same time has a lot of quality control so that the message doesn't get lost or diluted or adulterated. And that's one of the great things about the technology of the podcast is that all of these podcasts are preserved and archived for years and years and years uh, so that the source material is easy to access. So the fact that it's free to access and the fact that technologically it's so easy to access is really important to me because in the past, when there have been times on planet Earth where this type of conversation, this type of awakening and opening is happening, Historically, it's either been in clandestine, esoteric kinds of situations, or it's been in situations where it's been cost prohibitive, or there have been some other barriers to entry. And so part of my commitment here is to have no barriers to entry other than the willingness and sincere desire of the person wanting to be empowered. So that's a big part of what this is about, so that it's... Uh, on one hand, I'm taking total responsibility for it, but on the other hand, it's not proprietary in the sense that it's not coming from a scarcity model, where it's coming from an abundant model. Uh, I'm reminded of a quote in The Course in Miracles, which says, to have all, give all to all. To have all, give all to all. Or as um, one of my main spiritual teachers 
Werner Erhardt once said, he said that the end of his life, he wants to be used up. And um, I feel very much the same way is um, I want to give it all away. You know, I'm, I'm in my late fifties and I'm starting to think more and more about my legacy and the impact that I want to have. And um, that's really what I want to do is I want to take the harvest of the best that I've gleaned from my life and give that away and also access, help, uh, help other people that are doing great work to access uh, the jewels that they have and to make that available as well. So those are some of my motivations and, and that may give you some deeper insight into what makes me tick and what what's behind all of this. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, uh, I, 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 you know, I gotta, I gotta ask you, I mean, let's talk about what we're concerned about. I mean, we talked about who we can reach with this. Um, and, and, you know, what amazing access they're going to have uh, to this to this ideology, to this thinking that is so incredibly cutting edge, so life changing. Um, what kind of problems are you concerned about yourself, Dr. David? What, what is it that you see that we can have an immediate impact that needs to be changed, that something that needs to be transformed that's happening in the world that really propels you per, as, as far as being purpose driven? Well, there's certainly a lot of things when I look at life, when I look at my life, when I look at other people's life, there's certainly a lot of things that seem like they're not working or they're not working anywhere nearly as well as they could. And in terms of the impact, I don't know if there's going to be what immediate impact we can quantify, but certainly I'm convinced that um, all great movement begins with powerful conversation and freeing the body freeing the soul is nothing if not a series of powerful conversations and um, so i think a lot of the main contribution is going to be that we're going to have powerful conversations that address uh, substantive topics so just off the top of my head certainly not an exhaustive list, certainly some areas of life that are not working, at least for most Americans, which I'm most familiar with, but I would imagine have uh, extrapolations internationally. Certainly, we're losing the healthcare game big time. You know, people are getting sicker. We're spending more money per capita than we ever have before, and we're getting sicker and sicker and sicker. There's the whole issue of our relationship to the body. There's our relationship to the planet, the quality of the water, the topsoil, the air, the energy around us. These are certainly areas that there's a lot of room for expansion. Uh, certainly the economic game, the banking game on the planet, the economic game on the planet, that certainly is based on a scarcity model, and it's correlated with domination, manipulation, secrecy. Um, there's a tremendous amount of room there. So obviously, healing that has to do with the body, uh, our relationship to planet Earth is a huge one that isn't working very well. Our relationship to money and economics and commerce 
certainly is not working very well. Um, our relationship to sexuality certainly uh, leaves a lot to be desired in terms of sex being used in manipulative ways, coercive ways, uh, uh, even violent ways sometimes, uh, uh, a sexuality that's divorced from the heart and from care and concern and compassion. This is certainly a big area. Um, those are just some things that come to my mind right away, but there are so many areas of our life that are breaking down because all the institutions of our culture are a reflection and expression of an ego-based state of consciousness that is no longer sufficient to meet the challenges and the possibilities of what we're encountering in 2015. Um, so on one hand, there's all of these challenges, but on the other hand, there's all of these, all of these opportunities that didn't exist before. Like for example, this conversation is being recorded on Skype. I'm in San Jose, California. You're in another part of California. We've never physically been in the same room. This recording is occurring for free. I'm using a Skype recorder, which is given away for free. So people will be able to access this for free at any time, at any place. So certainly there are opportunities, both technologically and in terms of new possibilities and ideas and new ways of being that are opening up that uh, give us an unparalleled opportunity to address the challenges that we face. But none of this will happen without clear, honest thinking and powerful conversations. And my observation is that in-depth interviewing, powerful conversations, um, uh, caring, commitment. These have become kind of lost arts or lost aspects of our world where we've gotten kind of hypnotized by sensation and by technology and by information flow to the point where uh, we've created a dangerous situation for ourselves. And um, I want to stand for the possibility, I do stand for the possibility of other ways of being and living. And um, so the powerful conversations we're going to have here on freeing the body, freeing the soul, and the friendships that will deepen, and the ripple effect that will happen, will at least initially catalyze new conversations, which will create new spaces of possibility for new processes to unfold and new results to be produced. I see. You know, I talked about what I'm really excited about as far as ontology goes. Um, not only cutting edge, brand new stuff, you know, for most people, unexplored territory, but it actually gives us a, an opportunity to examine what it is that our lives are about beyond the empty and meaningless concept, of course, which gives us, you know, endless possibilities. 
Um, but it helps us answer the question, that kind of question that lives all the way in the background that people are just terrified to even consider. What difference does my life make? And that's what I'm excited about is the ability of people to gain insight into, number one, confronting that question and not doing it in a way that terrifies them. But number two, being able to see possibilities that they can be in the world. And that's what's so exciting to me. What is it that really, really excites you about the impact this show can make? Well, I think my last answer was a lot about that, about what excites me about the potential impact for the show. Um, but I do want to pick up on something you said, you know, that all of us want our lives to matter. We want that sense of of having impact, that sense of making a difference. And yet deep down, almost all of us are afraid that we don't make a difference. And I'm going to say something that is a really powerful statement. And I won't have time to get into a full conversation around it today, but I'm going to say it anyway. And that is that most people's lives are to a very large extent all about avoiding the domination of the realization that the way they're living their lives isn't making much of a difference. So I'm going to say that again. Most people, a lot of people, a lot of people's lives are limited and shaped and constrained because they're organizing themselves and their lives and their relationships to avoid confronting the fact that a lot of what they're about is avoiding the domination of the insight that the way they've been being and the way they're living their lives doesn't make much of a difference. So it's one of those paradoxical situations where anybody I know who's really in tune with life and really in the flow and really allowing life to move through them, they've confronted this issue of realizing that at one point in their life, they were living their life in a way where it really wasn't making much of a difference, that they were disconnected. They had lost access to the source of their aliveness and their power. And it takes a lot of courage. It takes a tremendous amount of courage to confront this level of our fears. And yet, that is what it takes. And you can come through that. You can come through the other side of that, where you're not spending any energy resisting that fighting that and it's just something that you can expand to include kind of like a fly on the wall you could be in a room and there could be a fly on the wall and you could just allow that to be there it doesn't need to dominate your experience or what you're all about while you're in the room and um, this is obviously a profound topic but it is one of those paradoxes that to to live a life that makes a difference, we need to eventually stop avoiding, denying, running away from, repressing, suppressing, justifying, trying to rationalize, or trying to compensate for the fact that deep down we feel like we don't make any difference. 
I certainly concur with that. Um, you know, it's it's uh, Warner Earhart said, you know, if you can get beyond the horror of that, because a lot of these things they they bring up, you know, what comes up for us is is really frightening. You know, it's 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 really tough. Even in the the initial landmark forum and the transformation, or in your experience in the est, you got to take that first look at yourself. And like Warner Earhart says in Transformation, it's really that first look is really a tough one. Uh, but once you get beyond that, you're able to see, you know, really what's possible for you. And it's our covering up of the way we're being so inauthentic. And this is my next question to you, Dr. David. People are walking through life. I spent the vast majority of my life walking around unbelievably inauthentic, making my life about making it, making my life about being okay. What do you have to say about the possibility of human beings confronting their inauthenticity and what does that make possible? Well, that's what I was getting at in my last comment is that when you can confront or tell the truth or just be with the realization that a whole hell of a lot of what you have been being and been up to really hasn't made any difference. That, to be able to be with that without making up another story about that, to just have compassion for yourself and the extent of your conditioning and the extent of other con people's conditioning, that there's, no, you know, you, you can try to avoid that, but it's not going to work. Um, th there has to be a safe and focused space for a person to just be with that without trying to make it better, without trying to fix it. And uh, some people get it right away. Some people, um, some people, they're not ready to get that, and that's okay, and they'll be presented with other opportunities. But sooner or later, this year, next year, this life, next life, sooner or later, I promise you that on the road to realization, that's a space that's kind of like a zero point. That's a space that's kind of like the eye of the needle, that Sooner or later, you got to be willing to be with it if you want to have your life be about something other than just trying to survive better. Right. Have life mean more than just getting by, just looking good. And that's what's so exciting to me is I would have killed to have this, you know, any access to what you're talking about now, this exciting prospect of making this a free uh, source of information, making it so widely and readily available. And that's, you know, the miracle of modern technology. I would have kind of killed for this about five years ago when I was in a world of hurt. And that's what makes it so kind of exciting for me is that, you know, if you've been through some traumatic, traumatic experiences in your life, be it toxic relationships or abuse or alcoholism or uh, addiction of any kind, um, you know, codependent relationships, all of those can constitute some type of trauma in our lives. Um, and what really typically happens is we don't come to maybe a source like you, Dr. David, until we're at that, 
you know, rock bottom situation. And when the pain is great enough, then we're moved to go and maybe get help from somebody, uh, a healer like yourself. Um, so what's really exciting is just by people being privy to this possibility that they don't have to, you know, maybe traumatize themselves by hitting rock bottom, which I think is very highly overrated, that method of transformation. Um, so very, very exciting. Now, I want to ask, what is it that, and that's, an, you know, that's what's really, really important to me, being able to reach people before they're at a crisis point, um, you know, where they're having a meltdown and, you know, we're in a really dangerous spot. What is it that's most important to you? What's the, you know, we talked about a broad spectrum of people that can be helped by this technology, by your uh, teaching, uh, and by your vast expertise. But what's most important to you, if you could leave one legacy, like if Dr. David was going to be gone and he had to leave one legacy, who, what, what specific impact would, would you have as far as what's most important to you? Right now in my life, uh, in my professional life, the most important thing to me right now is to establish really powerful relationships with at least a handful of leaders in the millennial generation to have a mutually beneficial relationship with them where I can function as an elder and I can empower them to bring out the best in them because I see tremendous potential in some of the leaders that I know of the millennial generation where they just have so much going for them and they're such old souls. And yet at the same time, they're living in an incredibly challenging world with all sorts of forces. And uh, they're trying to deal with a lot of issues that are very intense at the same time. And so one of the things that I have consciously been doing over the last few years is I've been establishing powerful, trusting relationships with some millennial leaders. And I should mention that's another intention for this show is to impact and empower millennial leaders. But I would say that's really important to me right now. And one of the impetuses for me for this podcast is to get a lot of what I want to get out of myself and other people on the record, so to speak, uh, recorded in such a way that History can preserve it and so that millennial leaders can have access to this and also so that I can benefit from what the millennial leaders have to give and to teach me as well. Because I really think that the baby boomer generation is going to fulfill itself in a way through the millennial generation. What the baby boomers started, I think the millennial generation will take to the next level. And um, I think we have a lot to give to each other and a lot to receive from each other. So that's, that's really big for me these days. And several of the in-depth in interviews I'm going to be doing in Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul are going to be with various millennial leaders. 
Fantastic. Um, just for the just for the record, uh, for anybody listening, for um, can you specify what it is that you exactly mean? We know what you mean by baby boomers, and we all we also know what you mean by millennials. But can you specify, Doctor David, what is it that you mean by millennial leaders? Oh, just like you know, not everybody in not every baby boomer is a leader. You know, not every millennial is a leader. So it's 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 a targeting and attracting and developing millennial leaders. So in the way that I mentioned earlier, that one of my intentions in this podcast series is to have an impact on leaders who have spheres of influence. Well, there's some millennials that already have spheres of influence. And that's what I mean by millennial leaders. Excellent. Thank you for clarifying. And yes, um, if anything, your uh, understanding of ontology, spirituality, of the healing arts um, would be of tremendous use to millennials who are so incredibly absorbed in this world of looking good. I mean, it's would you not agree, Dr. David? It's it's worse now than ever. I'm I'm uh, somebody who coaches charisma and communication. I got to tell you, people have never lacked more for you know personal charisma. And, and communication skills, interpersonal skills, than any time in history. And it's all of us. It's even those of us who, are, who specialize in it that get sucked into this digital age where uh, you know, we can't lift our head up when somebody who's really important in front of us, we can't give them five minutes of presence. Um, and do, do you, would you say that it's at its worst uh, that it's ever been? And, and what, what, what would you say to somebody who has to confront that and go, oh my goodness, you know, first of all, you know, interpersonal skills are perishable. And a lot of people take that for granted. You know, um, you can become a, an expert uh, communicator today and, you know, lock yourself in a room for six years and play video games or, you know, play with your phone and those things perish. So what would you say that, uh, first of all, would you agree that we're in a, we're, People, millennials really definitely need help from the baby boomer generation beyond somebody like me who's a coach to really show them how, how human beings are supposed to be outside of this, you know, this addiction to technology. Well, yeah, to me, it's a two-way street. You know, um, for me, for me, I need what the baby boomers, what the millennials have to offer just as much as I think they need what I have to offer. So I might see it a little bit differently than you see it. But I definitely think growing up today is more complex than it has ever been. It's like the Wild West out there. And it's like the best of times and the worst of times. You know, it's this attitude of, um, you know, we're, we're having this, you know, this period of, you know, postmodern relativism, which is sort of anything goes and all viewpoints are equally valid and all of that stuff. And on one hand, that's a reaction to uh, top-down uh, manipulative coercive authority that adolescents have rebelled against for years. But on the other hand, uh, I consider it to be a very dangerous philosophy because it tends to devolve into uh, mediocrity and uh, lack of clarity and um, denial and 
things falling to their least common denominator. And so when you have a culture that is breaking down, like our culture is in the death throes of an overly patriarchal cycle that's lasted for hundreds and hundreds of years, when you're a young person and you're born into a culture that's breaking down, and on one hand, your elders are telling you how you should be, but on the other hand, you're looking out there and you're going, well, who are they to tell me how things should be? They've screwed up their own life. They've screwed up the environment. They've screwed up the world. They have lousy marriages. They don't like their jobs. You know, what do I have to live for and why should I listen to them? I totally understand it. I totally get it. And um, and I think that's one of the most important things I have to offer millennials is I don't have a viewpoint about that. I get that. And here we are. And there's a lot of suffering going on for millennials as well. And if I can develop a relationship with them where they start to trust me and realize that I'm the real deal and that I want us to contribute to each other, Maybe they'll be open to listening to some of the things that I see about some blind spots I see in that generation, just like the baby boomers have blind spots. And uh, hopefully they'll be willing to, to talk in a real way and, and things can start to open up. I mean, certainly, certainly this... The, the millennials were the first generation to grow up on fast food, to grow up you know, almost exclusively on adulterated food, uh, topsoil that basically had been raped, um, economic pressures where the, where the mother or the father could not stay home when, they, when the child was young. Um, and then being exposed to this culture that's breaking down. And, you know, Jesus said where there's no vision, the people perish. And so these young people who look out there and they don't really have any heroes, they really don't have any role models for older people where, the, where, that, where that idealism is rooted in anything that's real. And then you combine it with the power of the media to create images, to create virtual realities that are completely divorced from the natural rhythms and flows of, of truth and real ideas. Uh, you have kind of an accident waiting to happen. But on the other hand, th this generation was the first generation to grow up with the internet and social media and to realize how quickly ideas and relationships can be shared and spread in a way that is still totally blowing my mind. And so, you know, just imagine, just imagine if the highest quality leaders you know of the baby boomer generation and the highest quality people you know of the millennial generation, imagine if they were really communicating fully, totally, completely, develop trustworthy, powerful relationships and found some common alignment and were working together to uplift each other and humanity. To me, that is an exciting possibility. And 
that gets me up in the morning. And that is one of the drivers, you know, in terms of what you're getting at in this interview. You know, what's this really all about? What's really making me tick? Um, I think this gives a deeper cut or slice into that. You know, you, you, you talked about where there's no vision, people perish. You know, that's kind of a motto I live by. And I think what you've done is actually just now describe the vision. I mean, really the ultimate vision for this project and how exciting it is, how ambitious it is, uh, which, you know, I'm so incredibly uh, grateful to be a part of it. Uh, now, I'm going to ask you something a little bit uh, deeper. In that last question that you answered, um, I came off as very judgmental, and I know that. I do that, and I'm theatrical about it sometimes, uh, dramatic even. But it's easy to sense that you have a tremendous amount of compassion uh, that is kind of a form of your natural self-expression. And you, as far as mentors and heroes, yes, we know that uh, you know, you're one of the original S participants uh, back in the days when you got to actually do it with Warner Earhart and uh, be exposed to this historical, uh, you know, I mean, just history-making uh, type of thinking that Warner Earhart had synthesized that profoundly affected everything that came after it, neuro-linguistic programming, uh, you know, this whole personal development movement, everything that Deepak Chopra does, or Oprah, or Tony Robbins, or any big guru out there, Brian Tracy, all of them are borrowing concepts that were synthesized by Warren Earhart. It's like indelibly woven into the culture these days. Beyond that, spiritually, what did you get out of something like, say, another one of my heroes is Marianne Williamson, who teaches A Course in Miracles. Tell me about what your experience has been with spirituality and its applications. And why should children, uh, it's almost a throwaway that kids can't even, these millennials, that they almost feel foolish if they admit that they're kind of spiritual, you know what I mean? They want to be much more analytical and they think that it's kind of woo-woo to be spiritual. So can you talk about what you've really kind of gotten out of um, out of your spiritual experience, your spiritual understanding and how we could cultivate the kind of compassion that you have? I think I need you to chunk this question down. It's so huge. My, I'm going into overwhelm uh, imagining how to approach it. You asked me several questions and each question is so huge. Maybe you could chunk it down and we could start somewhere. Let's do that. What's, been, what's it been like your spiritual experience? And um, from that, what do you think that we as a very cynical new generation can get out of that? Well, I think it's very important to honor your sense deep down that something is missing or something isn't quite right, or there is something about this picture that is incomplete. And um, it takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of courage, especially when you're young, when you're a kid or you're a teenager or you're a young adult. It takes a lot of courage to acknowledge that you have this deep sense that something isn't quite in alignment with truth. And then there's this big pitfall, this huge pitfall that I fell into, just about every young person falls into it, 
is once they have that sense, then what they do is they go into judgment. They judge themselves and or others or life or God as bad or wrong, or they make up a story that it shouldn't be that way. And then people get bitter and rigid and their heart closes down and they lose access to their own being, to their own intelligence, to their own true nature. Or then you have these other people that are in denial about the fact that maybe something's missing and they just act like everything's fine. And that doesn't work either. And so I get that. I was a young person. I was a child that had these senses even before I had the words for it. I was a teenager who had that sense even before I had the words for it. I got bitter. I got critical. I got judgmental. My heart closed down. I got lost. I get it. And that was way before all of the kinds of pressures that accelerated like I was talking about earlier that the millennials are facing. So I get that. And so I think what's important is to separate the baby from the bathwater here. What's important is to acknowledge that, yes, we do have this innate sense of, 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 of appropriateness, of, of true nature. It's in our nature to know true nature. That's why when you come across the presence of truth, that's why you recognize it instantly, because it's igniting your own being. And so I think it's really important when we're talking to anybody, but especially to millennials, to say, hey, I'm right with you there. I, I get it. And at the same time, to invite them to open up and take a look at the fact that what they did was go right into judgment and that those are two different things. Having that sense that I was talking about and going into judgment are two different things. And once you are open to that possibility, then you can separate the baby from the bathwater, and then you can work at beginning to release the judgment so that you can just be with this deeper sense of what is happening. And there's something magical that happens. We kind of talked before about that zero point, that eye of the needle, well, there's something kind of magical that happens, and I'm going to describe what happens, but the description of it isn't it, but it can point to it. And if somebody's listening and they're open to getting it, they can kind of ride on the shoulders of this description and allow themselves to get it. So here it goes. So, so when you can let go of the judgment, that initial sense you have of something not being quite right or something missing, instead of that what's missing becoming like a complaint, that what's missing now can show up for you like an opportunity to make a difference. And so one way to look at freeing the body, freeing the soul, is to, is to look at it like it's Dr. David looking out at what's missing. But instead of that occurring for me like a complaint or to judge it, it's occurring to me like an opportunity to make a difference 
And out of that occurring, one of the things that's coming out of that is freeing the body, freeing the soul. And one of the things that's coming out of that is this conversation, Pete, that you and I are having. And out of that, there's somebody that's listening, maybe having their life transformed right now. I would suggest that if you're listening to this right now, you go back and play that part over again if you missed the life-changing value and insight that Dr. David just shared with us. Dr. David, we touched on it before. Um, who are the, who've been the big heroes or mentors in your life? Who's, been, who's had the most profound influence uh, on you that's, that's really kind of sparked you into putting together this wealth of information that you now want to pass on to, to everyone else? Well, I've had many teachers, both physical plane and in other dimensions, um, that I'm very grateful for. I'm a teacher myself, and I stand on the shoulders of many, many great teachers. But I think, as you know, my two greatest teachers are Yeshua, um, better known in our culture as Jesus, um, and um, a man you mentioned earlier. Uh, Werner Erhardt. To me, to me, uh, Jesus or Yeshua, he built a bridge for human beings. He redesigned the human template to to restore it to its divine blueprint. And it's up to us now to accept that gift and to discover it for ourselves. And to me, Werner Erhardt provided for me the access code to access what what Jesus made available to all of us. Uh, somehow the way Werner was being and the way he was communicating allowed me to be in such a way that I could now access what Jesus and the other great spiritual teachers had made available by being here on earth as a human being and, and, and building that bridge. Um, uh, in the healing arts, I've had many teachers. Um, some have been pretty seminal. There's a man who's passed away named Dr. Ted Mortar Jr., who um, really taught me about modes, M-O-D-E-S, about modes when it comes to healing, and really taught me that the first job of a healer is to help the person who wants healing to shift from defense mode into an open healing mode. And that I really got that and I started to pay attention to modes and not just jump right into content and to be, eventually become a master of, of modes, of being able to become aware of modes, shift modes, shift modes in myself, create the space for others to shift modes. So he, in the healing arts, he was a really big influence for me. Um, right now, my mentor in the healing arts is a man named Dr. Frank Springob, S-P-R-I-N-G-O-B, who's developed uh, a methodology called morphogenic field technique, which is uh, the application, I don't have time to get into it now, but it's the application of the principles of quantum physics to help human beings to develop customized um, um, wellness protocols, a specific nutrition, specific herbs, um, 
specific remedies, very, very, very precise. So a couple of my mentors now also, um, there's another spiritual teacher who, although he's not my teacher in the way that I would say Jesus or Werner is, has really influenced me, is um, a man named Hamid Ali, who uh, writes books under the pen name A.H. Almas, and uh, A-L-M-A-A-S, and he has, he's a spiritual teacher, and he has a, a spiritual school um, called the Ridwan School, and his spiritual path is called the Diamond Approach, and even though he's not a formal teacher of mine, he's a genius, and he helped me to really clarify my thinking about the relationship between ontology and psychology to the point now where I think I have a really powerful handle on that relationship. And that's been incredibly useful to me. Absolutely phenomenal. I love what you said about the connection between, you know, that nobody would necessarily make offhand, the connection between what Warren Earhart contributed um, in, in so far as us gaining access to the way that Jesus set this template of a new human being. Yeah, I really see it that way. I, I, I think I think that's very accurate. I would have to agree because, I mean, let's face it, we read the Bible, and I've got to tell you, I'm one of those kids who grew up Christian and then kind of moved away from religion, but I never, ever divorced myself from Jesus. Um, there's a lot of people like that who are just seeing kind of the, the limiting constraints of religion and a lot of the hypocrisy involved in it and the, the judgment and the criticism and, and how damaging it is psychologically to a lot of people to be born into a religion that tells you that you're shameful and sinful before you've even done anything. Um, but how do we, when we look at Jesus and the way he was and we really admire him and we so much want to be him, we're left with this resignation of, I could never be that way. I could never forgive somebody that way. I could never be compassionate that way. You know, human being, the way that set of options that we showed up into uh, when we showed up, really constrains us into being small and mean and petty and, and uh, vindictive and selfish and self-concerned. And so there was no access to being in a way where we could follow in Jesus's footsteps. Would you agree with that? Yes, or, or it was very, very difficult. It, it, very, very it, difficult. It, it would only happen to a few human beings from time to time. And these people had to be in very defined, sequ sequestered environments. And that's not the case anymore. And a lot of that has to do with Werner Earhart and what he brought, what he brought to the table. I've got to tell you what a what a just amazing contribution you've made to my life by bridging that connection and really getting me to see that where the value is because I've got the the, sa the same two mentors heroes you know whatever you want to call them that my life would really be in trouble without and you've just bridged the gap between the two of them that I never necessarily saw before. Um, in a way that's incredibly powerful and very impactful for me. So I thank you for that uh, very much, Doctor. And, and I really hope that um, the people who are listening can really get the same type of value um, that they can kind of see what's actually happening here and how exciting it is. Um, 
uh, it, what you specifically the contribution you have to make to, to everybody's lives. Uh, this has been such an incredible, enlightening discussion. Is there anything else that you wanted to leave us with, Dr. David? Well, I want to say that when Werner made his seminal contribution in the early 1970s, the physical body of Americans was not under the assault that it is today. The quality of the food was better. The toxicity levels were lower. People weren't getting over-vaccinated to the extent that they are now. Uh, the stress levels weren't quite as high. And so, you know, one thing that Werner didn't address was the role of the physical body in the transformative process. And yet, to make Werner's teaching and Jesus's teaching relevant in contemporary society in 2015, we, we have to look at, we just have to look at human beings, their physical body, the relationship to the elements, to planet Earth, to the soil, um, to social policy, economic policy. It, this, is, this is another pillar of the big picture. And it's part of what I want to contribute is this vision of human possibility and ways of empowering people that that take that that act that access what Jesus had to offer, that access what Werner had to offer, has to offer. He's still very vital and alive and kicking, and combine it with today's realities and what we know about the healing arts and the support of the physical and etheric bodies. Um, this is what I'm so excited about. And, and, and the implications and applications of transformation at the societal level, or um, I guess um, the late William Bartlett III, who wrote the autobiography of, of Werner Earhart, talked about the ecology of transformation. And, um, you know, we're seeing it now. We're seeing the impact of transformation at the societal level. Like, for example, the baby boomers are completely unwilling to be put into old folks' homes the way that their parents were. And so there's, you know, there's a whole generation now that's coming up that are unwilling to go to work and be told what to do and do menial tasks all day. So there's a whole ecology of transformation, the implications of a transformed individual as far as relationships, groups, organizations, communities, planetary citizenship. These are all areas that are fair game to be explored and especially fair game to be explored in freeing the body, freeing the soul. And so it is an audacious project. It is an audacious vision. And I've come to the point in my life where I realize that I'm going to come up against challenges, whether I'm playing a big game or a small game. And there's a very high likelihood that I won't succeed in as big a way as I would like. And I've made peace with that. And I'm not spending any energy being in denial about that or fighting that. I know that that's there. And 
and and I'm being with that in such a way that I have a hundred percent of my energies to totally play this game at a hundred percent and however it's going to turn out is however it's going to turn out. That's brilliant insight. You know, um, that I think that if we can keep our focus on our vision and the fact that we want to be totally used up, we don't have to put so much attachment to the outcome, which obviously weakens our efforts. Um, and just brilliant insight that you offered right now that we just take for granted Imagine I go to Landmark Forum and I'm, you know, exposed to all these new ideas. It's amazing. I get Werner's, a lot of Werner's teachings, although they're incredibly watered down to a great extent. Um, but I don't get what that, that component that you just talked about, that our bodies are literally under assault from a topsoil that's been completely depleted, from being over immunized from psychiatric drugs being shoved down our children's throat. I mean, children being given amphetamines and Ritalin at, at, at these, you know, these drugs of abuse at, at such a young age, um, being sedated, uh, being ostracized, being bullied, uh, being made to feel like they're defective, uh, a psychological association, the APA with its DSM full of uh, imaginary diseases, um, our, our medical system that cures nobody, a penal system that rehabilitates nobody, an addiction rehabilitation system that rehabilitates nobody. We've got a very ambitious task in front of us. And what your big contribution is, I would have never thought to even plug in that component of mind-body connection as a, not, not just an essential part, but an indispensable aspect. Like you can't really get to where you're going anymore without addressing what you just said. I mean, w without plugging in that component that you just said. And it's something that I've, I didn't even consider before, just took for granted. And, uh, you know, again, that's been very powerfully Im Im impactful. And when you just said it, I kind of got hit by it. That came up for me that, wow, what an ambitious project this is. And then I started to feel like, oh my God, I don't think we're going to make it. You know what I mean? Uh, well, and, you know, that I discovered this through decades of working with patients and students, I, I became fascinated by my failures. And I studied my failures, because I wanted to know, you know, what was missing or what wasn't working. And a lot of the ideas I'm sharing with you come out of simply being with my failures and seeing what I see and feeling what I felt, and then asking new questions and reiterating that, iterating that over and over until clarity began to emerge. Dr. David, I'd like you to coach me a little bit here. How does one be with their failure without judging it, without covering it up, without hoping nobody finds out about it, and without it defining them or them using it as a racket, how does one be with a failure and get and turn that into something of tremendous value? Well, we really don't have time today in this conversation to thoroughly cover that, except to say that the how is not really that important. You can't really answer the question in a powerful way. The most important thing I could say is to be willing for that to happen and to be open to the possibility that that could happen and to get very clear 
that there's a difference between what you become aware of and your judgment about what you just became aware of and your judgment about yourself in the process of becoming aware. And if you can start to pick that apart, then you can start to open up to the idea that it might be possible to be aware and to honor your awareness and not turn into an idiot, that you could still be aware of your awareness and that the judgments are optional. And when you're open to that possibility, then you can open up to your natural compassion for, for who human beings might possibly be and, and reconnect with what some spiritual traditions call the sacred heart or what Werner called the self with a capital S. But, um, you know, one thing that blocks the connection to the heart is that people have a lot of hurt that they haven't acknowledged and they haven't been with it. And so they avoid the heart. And that's the ultimate tragedy. Because when you avoid the heart, you avoid access to who you really are. And that explains a lot of what you were asking earlier about what is the source of a lot of the suffering of the millennials is they've had so much hurt. They've had so much bewilderment, so much um, lack of safety, lack of a sense of safety, so many wounds that they've figured out how to be clever and avoid being in their own heart. And, um, Truth and beauty and everything that matters in life becomes inaccessible to you when you've lost access to the heart. And as you mentioned, at that point, you default and, you know, you start playing the more, better, different game. And we can talk about that another time. But um, those are my thoughts on kind of what you were opening up with your question. Thank you for creating that possibility for myself and for everyone else who's listening. Um, it's it's absolutely unbelievably counterintuitive, the information that you just gave us, but it provides some insight into what is possible and how little effort we really have to expend if we just give ourselves permission to be with what is without judging it. Uh, and like you said, acting like an idiot, because that's our initial impulse. Dr. David, Thank you so much for giving us all this information. I'd like to know how is it that people get in touch with you? Uh, how can they share this with others? How can they empower others with the message that you just, with all this value that you've given us today? Well, one thing you can do is you can listen to this recording several times. Uh, my teaching exists on several levels and information bits is just one level of this transmission. There are many other levels. Um, uh, I've often listened to my teachers 10, 20, 30 times. So, um, one thing would be to be open to re-listening to this and just keep breathing and keep your heart open. Another would be that, um, you can access this show and all of the other shows in Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul on the special website we've created 
which is cutting edge doc. That's cutting edge and then doc.com. I encourage you to go there and there'll be an opt-in form. And if you put your name and your email address, I'll stay in communication with you. If you want to initiate a specific communication with me, you can do that by email at drdavid at cuttingedgedoc.com. That's D-R-D-A-V-I-D, D-R-D-A-V-I-D at cuttingedgedoc.com. Another thing you can do is tell people you care about to listen to this and invite them to listen to it. And don't try to share with them uh, what I said, but uh, share from your experience of the impact that your listening is having on you. And then uh, there's another thing, but it's slipping my mind. Hang on. Uh, oh, yeah. One thing you can do that would really help be a personal favor to me would be to go to iTunes and uh, give Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul a five-star rating and a sincere, stellar review. And all of these podcasts will be uh, posted not only on the website I mentioned, but also in the iTunes podcast area and also on Stitcher, S-T-I-T-C-H-E-R, which is important because for those of you who have uh, uh, phones that are not um, Apple-based phones, um, you're not able to get the iTunes app on your smartphone. But you can get the Stitcher app, and you can access uh, cutting edge. You can access freeing the body, freeing the soul, through your Stitcher app as well. So, um, those are some ways people can stay in touch, communicate, and extend the opportunity that that freeing the body, freeing the soul represents. Fantastic, uh, very well put. Thank you so much, Doctor, for being with us today for distilling some value and for really giving us a vision uh, for the ambitious nature of this uh, podcast and really the kind of value that's going to be delivered uh, for the first time, this, uh, this cutting edge technology and this cutting edge way of being in the world. I wanna say uh, to you people who joined us today, I hope you got as much value out of this as I did. And I know if you were paying attention that you did, go to cuttingedgedoc.com. That's cuttingedgedoc.com. And contact Dr. David, that's D-R-D-A-V-I-D at cuttingedge.com. And for the love of God, make the contribution. If you want to keep this thing going, share the value with your friends, share the message with your friends, go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, give this podcast a wonderful rating, a thumbs up. And thank you again for being with us. Thank you for your contribution. Thank you, Pete. And uh, let's just close with love and peace. Dr. David here. I hope you enjoyed that interview. I know I did, and I really appreciate Pete Sapper for being willing to interview me and kind of draw me out. One thing I'd like to say before we go is to reiterate something that came up in the interview. I encourage you to listen to that interview multiple times. A lot of the ideas we were sharing and realities that I was pointing to don't always reveal themselves upon the first listening. So I'd encourage you to listen to it as many times as you find that you're getting value. And as always, I appreciate you 
sharing these shows with people that you care about. And if you want to support the show, going over to iTunes and giving it a five-star rating and a heartfelt comment. So until next time, this is Dr. David signing off. And thanks for listening to Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. Bye for now, and we'll close with love and peace. joining us for today's episode of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. To access all episodes, including show notes, go to CuttingEdgeDoc.com. That's CuttingEdgeDoc.com. Lastly, if you love today's show, you can support Dr. David, his work, and the show by going over to iTunes and giving a five-star rating and a heartfelt comment. Thank you again for joining us today and for your commitment to freeing the body, freeing the soul.